welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBersier. And if you want to support the show, please check out our merch store at beyondblathers.square.site and take a look at the animal stickers and postcards we have for sale. We also just wanted to take a second to tell you about a podcast playlist we've put together. So Sophia and I are both big podcast nerds, and we partnered with Podacy, an online community of podcast lovers, to share some of our favorite episodes with you. There are lots of cool science pods in there, an episode on indigenous fashion, and even a true crime podcast. You can check it out at podacy.fm slash blathers. We'll also put a link in our show notes, so make sure to check it out. So we're so excited today to be joined by Ellen Weatherford, one of the hosts of the amazing podcast, Just the Zoo of Us. And she's going to tell us all about snails today. So thanks so much for being here, Ellen. Of course. I'm really excited to be on here. Um, Olivia, I'm excited to talk to you again because you came on and talked to me about caribou uh, for our special Christmas episode. So I'm excited to see you again and to see Sophia for the first time. This is, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been listening to y'all show a lot and it is such a vibe. (laughs) It's so good. So thank you for having me on. Yeah, we're such big fans of Just the Zoo of Us. And also, like, we have to say, Ellen, you made us feel so immediately welcomed in, like, the science podcasting community, (laughs) just immediately and, like, on Twitter. And yeah, it's just, like, I feel like you have all created such a really kind and supportive group of people. So we feel very lucky to know you. (laughs) Yeah, we're very appreciative of it. Oh, I, I, well, I appreciate y'all. You know, I, I, I believe in what you're doing. I think it's just the cutest idea because it just like hit right at that time when Animal Crossing was so like poignantly like immersed in <laughs> like the crux of American culture in that moment. And, and but infuses that element of like that curiosity of, ooh, I think I actually want to learn more about the things that I'm like seeing on Animal Crossing. So it's just the perfect tie-in. Very excited. Thank you. And you do play Animal Crossing, right? I do. I still play it. I, I actually checked recently on my like Switch profile. I have about 245 hours in the game. Um, (laughs) I had a baby recently. So as you can imagine, Animal Crossing has been factoring heavily into my daily routine. But yeah, I I play a lot. (laughs) I started playing when it came out. And then um, just kind of have have kept up with it this whole time. It's such a wonderful escape. That's awesome. Well, I'm really excited to hear more about the snails. But first, we always take a look at what Blathers has to say about whatever animal we're doing each week. So, if you bring a snail to Blathers, he'll say, Snails are not insects, I'll admit, but they're just as revolting to me. Snails are mollusks, you see, and are born wearing shells they cannot remove. Instead, their shells get bigger and bigger as they grow. Who? They must get heavy, don't you know? I suppose that's why they need a trail of mucus to move about, a truly foul form of transportation. (laughs) (laughs) That's so rude. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. I like the image of like the mucus being part of the transportation. Like I've never considered that really before. Yeah, and... And it definitely is. So the mucus that they lay down helps because if you think about the anatomy of a snail, right, the top is that hard shell part. The bottom part is their soft, squishy foot, right? So snails are a part of a large group of animals called gastropods, which comes from gastro meaning belly and pod meaning foot because they crawl around on the ground with a foot on their belly, gastropod. Mm. And that skin on the bottom is very soft and it's very fragile. So the mucus that they lay down fills in all the little nooks and crannies and crevices of the surface that they're crawling on. And it essentially reduces friction. It's like a lubricant that keeps them from getting scratched or scraped by whatever they're crawling across. So they can crawl across things like, you know, wood, like they can crawl up the trunk of a tree without getting scratched by the bark. But what's interesting is that like, it's both a lubricant in that way, but it's also an adhesive 
because it sticks them to whatever they're crawling on. So they can, you know, crawl directly up the vertical surface of a tree. So like it kind of works both ways as both a lubricant and an adhesive, which I think is really neat. (laughs) That's very, very cool. It's kind of icky because they do leave that weird little trail of slime behind them. Um, But it's an it's a really interesting way to protect them and give them a little bit of a mobility edge, which I think they definitely need because of how slow they are. (laughs) I want to create like a like a product that is like a like a foot lotion that acts like both a shoe and also helps me climb up walls. I think <laughs> that's a, a million dollar idea. You heard it here. That is my new uh, innovation that I would like to spend developing because that sounds like the best of all the worlds. Yeah, and it, it's funny that you mentioned like a foot lotion because it was <laughs> somewhat difficult for me to actually like find information about the snail's slime and mucus without um I, I had to like wade through pages and pages of Google search results of skincare products that use snail slime like as mm. a huge ingredient. Yeah, apparently I unfortunately I'm a little bit ignorant to that side of things because I don't use a lot of like skincare or beauty products, but apparently snail slime is like a big, big thing in beauty products. <laughs> Interesting. I don't think I've heard that before. I've heard of like different sort of like fish eating the dead skin off your toes or like those kinds of things. I've <laughs> never heard of snail slime as a beauty product. Yeah, huh. it's a little like I don't I bet I, I would try it. Right. Like I would try it yeah. to see what it's all about. It seems a little gimmicky to me, but like I said, I'm not I'm definitely not well versed in the cosmetic world, so I don't know for sure, but it was definitely a little bit of a challenge to try to like <laughs> look up information about snail slime that wasn't, you know, on the page of like some sort of beauty product site. I wonder if it would be like putting Vaseline on your foot. Like if you wanted a non-petroleum based <laughs> Vaseline to just like, cause I, I wonder what other purpose it would serve or like what the advertised purpose would be. Oh gosh. <laughs> I was going to go into like all the stuff it does for the snail. Cause it does a ton of cool stuff for the snail for the human. I don't know if it's doing that much. Um, but <laughs> although there's one thing that is probably a little bit for both. Cause it does have some, antimicrobial properties um it's it's been shown like in in lab testing to actually kill a lot of bacteria that can cause really harmful effects on either the snail or also humans um so it's in very very small amounts right because like it's just what the snail is producing from its tiny little body so it's in very very tiny amounts but i would imagine maybe like if you took that that substance and concentrated it it might like that might be something (laughs) but like the slime does a lot of stuff for the snail so like it it protects the snail from abrasion on the bottom it helps them get around um but it's also a way that they use to navigate um so they'll leave a trail to and from their food source that like when they go essentially to bed and they're nocturnal so they kind of go to bed in the morning (laughs) and then when they're ready to come back out at night they can follow that trail of slime back to their food source and keep eating so that's pretty cool and then when they're ready to to hibernate in the winter they seal their shell up with mucusy slime they just like secrete enough mucus to make this plug and they plug up the opening it's called like the aperture of their shell and then they just get all snuggled up and and wait out the winter and then when the winter's over they pop back out and they're ready like to go snail tupperware just like <laughs> plug themselves up yeah that's so cute it's really cute. And so the the snail that Blathers is talking about, so I, I looked up to make sure I was talking about the right type of snail, right? Because there's so many types of snails. I'm talking like, I don't know, I think over 100,000 different types of snail. I don't know. That's oh. a made up number. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine it's a larger number, though. It's huge. So according to the Animal Crossing wiki, this is the snail that specifically you find like that you catch with your net, like the the real life snail that you catch on the ground, the terrestrial snail that you find in Animal Crossing is a snail called Helix palma- palmatia? Palm- palmatia. 
I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Scientific names are my uh, thing. But they're also called Roman snails, also called burgundy snails, or escargot. This is the edible snail. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Have y'all had escargot before? I haven't. I think I have, but I mean, it's not like my favorite thing. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where it's like, why eat something that just tastes like something else? Like people are always like, oh, it tastes like butter. And it's like, then just eat some butter. Like you don't need to eat the <laughs> snail. I don't know. <laughs> Christian calls them, um, my husband Christian calls them butter boats. That they're just little mm. vessels for you to eat butter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then you've had them? I have not had escargot. I don't think I would like it because I don't like seafood, including shellfish. And like, I don't like things that are related to gastropods. And so I don't think that I would like the taste of a gastropod. I'm a little bit of a picky eater. So no, I have not had escargot. Um, But so there's other types of snails that you can find in Animal Crossing. So like you can find the shells of snails on the beach. So like you can find Venus combs and you can find cowries, you, but they're just like the shells that you just pick up off the beach. There's no snail in them. It's just the shell left behind. <laughs> but also if you go out into the ocean, you can collect whelks um, out of the ocean as little deep sea creatures. Uh, and those are sea snails because there are marine snails, there are freshwater snails, there are terrestrial snails. Snails are all over the world. They're everywhere. <laughs> but the, the one specifically that you catch with your net on the land is the escargot snail. So that's like the specific one that Blathers is talking about, which I'm I'm hoping that I got that right because I got it off of the Animal Crossing wiki. And if that's not the right species, then it is too late because I already did my notes on this one. <laughs> so there's no going back. I'm sure that that's great. I mean, we do often have to kind of like choose one to talk about because some of these are very uh, huge groups of animals. So... That totally makes sense. Yeah, it just says snail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know there's like just like spider too, isn't there? Yeah. Like, the spider me. one, I, I always look at it. I'm like, should we do spider? And I'm like, that seems like it's going to be a week's worth of research. Like, just <laughs> yeah. talk about everything. Just spider. That's it. You know, the one spider that there is. Yeah. <laughs> spider. I know, but then there's like group. a million types of butterflies, beetles. It's. It's interesting. I wonder how they made their decisions about that kind of thing. Maybe they just assumed no one likes spiders and they were like, we'll just make them catch one. And they made them so antagonistic too, right? Like the, the spiders in the game, like the tarantula also too, you know, like they chase you and will damage you you know like the closest thing in animal crossing to taking damage you get from the arachnids <laughs> right like the um the tarantula and the scorpion they sting you mm-hmm. and like that's <laughs> such such a i think they did arachnids real dirty with that because that was the only representation they got in animal crossing and they kind of like were even just the closest thing you can get to a villain in the game <laughs> so yeah. rude but almost all of the other like bugs that you can catch on the land are arthropods. So like snails are the only one out of all the bugs you can catch that are not arthropods. They're totally different thing entirely. So they're mollusks, not related to insects or arthro- you know, insects being part of the arthropod group. Snails are completely separate from that. Um, and something that I find interesting is that slugs are just snails that evolved over time to get rid of their shell for one reason or another. They were So one of the things that Blather said is like, that must make them really heavy. The shell must like weigh them down a lot. A lot of slugs are carnivorous. So they're predators. And they, in order to like go faster to catch their prey over time, they just got rid of the shell. They said, this thing is slowing me down. And so like eventually they were like, we don't need this anymore. And they just got rid of it. And now you have slugs, which are just snails with no shells. Just naked snails. They are. (laughs) Because I was wondering, you know, like which came first, the slug or the snail. But it was snails and slugs are just ones that got rid of their shells. 
for one reason or another. They're like basically just for like better mobility because you have to make a trade off, right? You have to sacrifice the protection that you get from a shell because, like he said, like all of the internal organs of the snail are crammed up inside that shell. Um, so that shell is providing the protection. But it's also weighing you down so you can't go so fast. So I think slugs just had to kind of make that judgment call of like, okay, we'll just sacrifice the protection that we get for a little bit of a speed boost. And it's not that much. I will give them that like, it's not that (laughs) much of a speed boost. If you've seen a slug crawling around, I'm kind of like, personally, I'm like, was it worth it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like, it, it reminds me of like turtles, like. You don't think of turtles as being the fastest things ever, but I guess they've got some benefit with the the protection. And it's interesting you say, uh, because we just talked about like sea angels and sea butterflies in an earlier episode. And like, it's the same thing there. Like the sea butterflies have a shell and they're just like sea snails and they're relatively non-predatory. Like they're omnivorous, but they're eating like scraps basically. And then sea angels are like, very similar things, but they also lost the shell so that they can eat the sea butterflies. So it's cool that that happened in both the land and the ocean. Yeah. And it's cool to see how like, I love convergent evolution when you see animals that are like not super related to each other that evolve similar traits. Like this occurrence of like types of snails losing their shells happens so many times, like across so many different like genus and like families of snails and slugs so it's it's really interesting to see how many different types of snails were like all right I'm just gonna go for it like it's like in a video game when you have to like you can choose to take the power armor that makes you like clunk around all over the place so you have like no stealth and no dexterity or you can switch to like leather armor that makes you faster but also like a stiff breeze will kill you you know like (laughs) you gotta kind of make that um judgment call but the shell of the snail is obviously like it's gorgeous right like the the beautiful like spiral shape it's really really cool so snail shells like ogres and onions they have layers there is a so there's a central layer in the middle that's like the hard part it's like the main part of the shell it's called the ostracum and then there's this thin layer around the outside that's called the periostracum um and it's kind of like a kind of like a like a membrane almost it's like a thin sort of skin around the outside of the shell so the that periostracum protects the main part of the shell from abrasion and damage so like if something little like you know scrapes up against it there's this little or it protects it from like chemical issues so like if there's some sort of um, chemical around them that could damage their shell that's what the membrane is there for it's pretty it's pretty impermeable to like chemical damage I suppose And then lots of species of snail, not the one that Blathers is talking about, not this Roman snail, um, but a lot of species of snail have a layer on the inside of the shell that's made of nacre, um, which is the material that we call mother of pearl. So it has that like sort of glossy, iridescent sort of shine to it. It's really pretty. Have you ever like been to the beach and you pick up a shell and you look inside and it has like sort of a iridescent sheen on the inside of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love seeing that. I'm like, oh, it looks like a jewel. It does. It's really cool. So the the that like main ostracum part of the shell that's like really thick and tough, uh, that part can actually regenerate. So like if it's damaged, at, assuming that the snail has survived whatever damage has been caused to its shell, it can actually grow it back. But the thing is that periostracum, the layer on the outside of it, doesn't grow back. So... Oh the shell that grows back looks different from the rest of the shell because it doesn't have that outer layer on it. It It's kind of like a scar, like on the shell of the snail, which is kind of strange to me because I'd never really thought about like a snail shell having like a scar. It's not like scar tissue, like the way that our skin will grow back or anything. It's just that like a part of their shell didn't grow back all the way with it. So it ends up just looking really different. Hmm. I think that's cool. I hadn't really thought about like, yeah. Whether the shell grows back or anything, but it can, which I think is really cool and very helpful for them. <laughs> Definitely. Because you want, if that's the, like the, if that shell is the only wall between you and something piercing your inner organs, you definitely want to be able to like rebuild that when you need to, right? And especially because snails are so like soft. 
Like just yeah, everything so about them is like liquidy. <laughs> yeah, gushy, exactly. That's a better word. <laughs> and that's, you know, like why salt kills them famously is because salt like soaks up water through osmosis um so if salt gets onto like the soft gushy parts of their skin the salt just sucks the water right up out of their cells and then they need a lot of moisture and a lot of hydration for their body because they're letting so much of it out through that mucus that like if they don't have a good sort like steady hydration, then they die pretty quickly. So that's why salt is so bad for snails. That's interesting. I've never even thought about that. Like when people say salt is bad for these animals, I just assumed I just I guess I sort of thought of it like a toxin or something. But of course, that makes sense that it's, it's more <laughs> of an osmotic problem than anything. Yeah, it's like a hydration issue, basically, just that they, they just very quickly get heat, get dehydrated and can't live very long without that. The, the last thing that I thought was really interesting about their shells that I just wanted to like include while we were adjacent to the snail shell topic is that snails, so you think about how the spiral goes, right? It's it's a spiral that leans in one direction. So like the the tip, I suppose, of the, of the spiral, which is called the apex for snails, it's going to lean to one side of the snail. Um, and snails can be left-handed or right-handed where the, the spiral of the shell points to either their left or their right. And like, it's based on the species. So most species are called dextral spirals. Like they, their spiral points to their right, but then some species are sinistral where the spiral points to the left. And sometimes you'll have a mutation where a normally right-handed snail will have a left-handed shell. And it's like a rare little mutation where like a, like an example would be this, this Roman snail that we're talking about. Like they normally have, uh, snails, or they normally have shells that point to the right, but every once in a while, like very, very rarely, you'll have one that has a shell that points to the left. And it's like a cute little, like, <laughs> a it, little I quirk. Don't, yeah, it's like a little quirk. And it's not something that like harms the snail. Like the, the spiral of the shell is just caused by something that happens in the development of the embryo of the snail, like when they're in the egg. Um, and so just like this little thing where like it flips in the opposite direction, just causes it to have a left-handed spiral instead. And like, it doesn't hurt the snail, right? It's, it just happens, but it's, it's really cute. I think I I hadn't really thought of like snails being right-handed or left-handed, but I thought that's really cute. It's something that's so like human, like it seems human (laughs) anyway. Like you're like right-handed or left-handed. So to have it in, you know, very different from humans organisms is, it's endearing. It's humanizing almost. Yeah. Yeah, humanizing is not the right word because I suppose we probably shouldn't anthropomorphize so much. Um, <laughs> well, but it, does... it makes them seem more like individuals, I think. Yeah. 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 And it helps you relate to them a little bit more. You know, like I think it's like, mm-hmm. oh, th- sometimes there's just a little quirky little guy that goes the other way. And like there's a little snail out there marching to the beat of his own drummer and <laughs> turning to the left instead of the right, which is, you know, obviously is fine for the snail, but... I just thought it was really cute. (laughs) I agree. That is adorable. The snail's also a vegetarian, like a lot of snails, but not all snails. Like we have a snail that lives here where I live in Florida. It's called a rosy wolf snail. And it's an invasive species, which is not great. But this is a snail. It's pretty big and it eats other snails. (laughs) So like some snails are not vegetarian, but this one is. So like... (laughs) If you look at like a snail's face and you zoom way in on their little face, it's kind of hard to tell like where their mouth is or like how they even eat or like what the deal is going on with their whole like face. So I highly recommend looking up a video of snails like eating because they just kind of fold their little mouth over whatever it is that they're eating and just kind of like crunch it. It's really cute. <laughs> so they, they have this thing inside of their mouth called a radula. Um, and it's kind of like a, it's like a ribbony sort of thing. It's like a tongue covered in these tiny little itty bitty spiky teeth. I, I think it's kind of like a cat's tongue, how it has a sort of like, you know, spiky surface on it. And they, they use this radula to grind up the vegetation. So they're kind of like rasping it against whatever they're eating um, to grind it up. And, and, and it's really important for them to get a lot of calcium because they're putting out so much calcium to build that shell. Um, so this has led to them being, I think, commonly associated with like being pests 
you know, because gardeners or people who work in agriculture or something like snails can get in and eat a lot of their vegetation. Um, there's things you can do about that. I've heard that they're susceptible to beer <laughs> traps. <laughs> Apparently oh, wow. you can set out a bowl of beer and like snails and slugs really like beer. So they'll come and like drink it, but it's really heavy. So like, I guess it weighs them down so they can't like keep moving around. Interesting. I wonder if that's because it smells fermented and it like attracts them like they think there's something, you know, decomposing around. <laughs> I don't know. I guess so. But I, I guess they like beer. And like if you have oh. a if you have a snail problem, uh, I guess beer traps are one way you can solve that. I think it's just really cute to watch them eat things because they just like munch crunch and they just look so soft and like you can see how their their little face which has these two like sets of tentacles where the top one is really really long and it has the eyes on top um but then they have these lower tentacles on the bottom of their face that are really short and they're just sensory so they're just little tentacles that the snail uses to like feel around in front of it. Aww. It looks like little kitten whiskers to me, I think, personally. I don't know if that's just me, but I think it looks like little kitten whiskers. No, I'm in in agreement with you. They for sure do, especially because they, like, move around. They're so expressive. They're, like, feeling around, and which is good. They kind of need those feelers because they... So they have these eyes, and they can see. They can see sort of. (laughs) Like, they can't see color. They don't have the muscles that you need to be able to, like, focus your eyes. So everything's just kind of blurry. So, like, they can kind of see something large. Like, they can see that something is there. They can't really tell what it is. If they're up really close to something, they can use their little tentacles to kind of feel around and be like, ooh, what's this? Um, But other than that, they don't see really great. They also can't hear, like at all other than like feeling vibrations they can feel vibrations but they can't hear anything (laughs) just not great for them i don't Hmm. think but one thing to think about is like you know say you're a snail what good is it going to do you to like hear a predator coming what are you going to (laughs) do run like it's not (laughs) that's a good point (laughs) like i they can they can come like draw up into their shells right they can like withdraw up inside of the shell and kind of hole up there and hope that whatever is chasing them is you know deterred by the shell which can be the the shell can be really really tough if they're like fully grown because at fully grown size this is a chunky snail this is a big guy like i i saw a video um while i was getting ready for this i was watching videos of people who own these snails as pets And I saw one video of this lady that was holding one, and the snail was about as long as the palm of her hand. Oh, wow. Which is, that's pretty big, right? Like, that's bigger than the snails I'm used to seeing around here. Mm -hmm. Huge, chunky guy. And they can live for a long time. They live for, like, I think up to five years. Like, they can live for quite a few years, which is, like, a long time for such a, you know, a, a small little guy, I think, at least. I feel like I see huge slugs, like, I'm definitely very used to seeing snails and slugs because, like, Vancouver and the Gulf Islands and stuff, it's, like, a temperate rainforest, and when it rains, like, it's amazing. You'll just, if you're out on the trails or something or even on the roads, they'll just be huge, like, banana slugs and stuff everywhere, and then, like, cars run over them, and they just get, like, it's just, like, disgusting, gross, like, Mm -hmm. goo everywhere, and, like, I just feel bad because it's, like, I know that, yeah, maybe they you know, the snails and the slugs feel the vibration coming, but what are they going to do? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Their hustle Even like is a not snail great. shell. Yeah, like, they can't really be protected from it. And you have to really watch out, like, because they can, slugs especially, and snails can, like, really blend in on trails. And then I'm always worried about, like, stepping on one and killing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially, like, because I, I mentioned that I live in Florida and it's very, very wet and very rainy here. Um, and so you'll see a lot of snails and slugs pop off after it rains. Because um, in, in Florida, we have kind of like a daily thunderstorm. We're like, especially in the, in the summertime, it's at four o'clock every day. There's a thunderstorm every day at four o'clock, which is like right when it's getting into the evening time, right? Like it's starting to get dark. And so you've got that combination of it being 
really, really wet and also starting to get a little bit cooler and darker, which is the time when the snails like to come out anyway. That is like snail heaven. They all come out and they go berserk. They love it. (laughs) So like anytime there's a good (laughs) evening rain, there will be slugs and snails just everywhere. And then if you go out early in the morning, it's really, really cool. If you go out in the morning and you look like down a sidewalk, you can see kind of like these shimmering cross section like you can see all the snail trails that they've left behind but it's just like crisscrossing over the sidewalk like a spider web yeah all over the place if you go out and it's like glimmering in the early morning with like like soft light and you can just see where all the snails have been like slithering around all day all, all night i should say I think it's really cute. I'm always really happy to see them because because they are nocturnal. I don't see them like in action very much. But gosh, when you do, it's a real treat. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a nostalgic description, though, of like, yeah, when you go out in the early morning and you see all those trails, like if I'm walking the dog in the morning, sometimes in the summer, I see it. But we also don't have too many like in Edmonton. I don't notice too many snails. We have a lot of slugs, but like little itty bitty things. Now, see, we don't have as many slugs that I know of around here, at least not that I see, but the ones that we do have are really small. So I feel like I would really lose it if I saw a banana slug. I would be really excited about that because the slugs we have are so like they're small and also they're just plain brown. I don't know what type of slug they are, but they're kind of drab, you know, like they, they're not super exciting to look at. If I saw a banana slug, I would lose my mind. I would love that. <laughs> That'd be really exciting for me. Yeah. When I went to go visit Sophia in like the fall, I remember like we would have to stop every time there was a slug because my boyfriend and I were like, we got to take photos of it and (laughs) take a video of it because it's right there. And I think, yeah, we slowed Sophia down a lot because of the presence of banana slugs. (laughs) Have you ever like picked up and held a slug or a snail or either one really? I think snails, yes. But even like at the museum, we had um, giant African land snails, I think is what they're called. Um, (gasps) Oh, I love those. (laughs) Yeah, they're amazing. Unfortunately, they're like super invasive in pretty much like the whole world. (laughs) But yeah, um, so we had to have a special permit to have them. And it made sense because we had got like we thought we had like one snail, I think. And then it just started like breeding or there was another snail maybe that we didn't notice. And it got to the point where we had like a tank that was just like exponentially multiplying with all these little snails and just you couldn't believe how many snails there were in this one tank. And yeah, we had to wear gloves when handling them because they could carry uh, meningitis. And so it was like a, a hazard in the in the bug lab. You didn't want to yeah, accidentally get that. So yeah, we couldn't handle those, which is too bad because they were adorable. They were massive. They were like the size, <laughs> like our bigger one was like, a bit smaller than a tennis ball, I would say, but quite large. It, it honestly might be that big now. I don't know. I haven't been there for a while. but And they would eat the food so fast. Like you'd feed this tank and go feed the other bugs. And like you come back in half an hour and be like, oh, I should probably give them more. <laughs> like <laughs> it was crazy. I know that the giant African land snails have been popular as pets because of how big they are. Yeah, And I think that's probably why they then become invasive. Yeah. That, and like, honestly, when you see how quickly they breed and maybe they're one of those species too that can clone themselves. I, I'm not sure about that, but they seem like they could maybe, maybe Ellen, you know more about that, but definitely if you're considering getting a snail as a pet, be very, very careful and be a responsible pet owner and do your research. <laughs> yeah. So like the one thing about the the reproduction of land snails in general is that there is no male or female snail so all of the snails have the same reproductive anatomy inside of them so they're they're hermaphroditic species so they it's the the individuals have the reproductive capability of any other snail right so if you have any two snails they can make more snails there is no like oh i'll just get two boy snails and then i don't have to worry about no that's not how it's gonna work (laughs) um there are no boy or girl snails there well for land snails at least i i'm sorry i didn't prepare a lot of information on like 
aquatic snails. Um, but for terrestrial snail, most types of land snails, at least, there's no m- distinction between male or female. But the way that they make baby snails is very endearing, I think. It's very cool. <laughs> so <laughs> snail courtship is fantastic. So like when they're ready to like make more snails, two eligible snails that are ready to <laughs> find somebody in their life, they court each other by dancing around each other. So they'll kind of like spiral around each other and do this like it looks like they're kind of like making out like in this dance <laughs> around each other and this can take hours which to us is like that's a long time but honestly when you're living on snail time like you know what else are you gonna do with those (laughs) like what else are you gonna do in those four hours move six inches you know like it's not that big a deal um but so they they do this dance that takes a really really long time and then once after this sort of like very romantic display to each other one of the snails will stab their partner (laughs) with (laughs) i wasn't expecting that <laughs> they have this structure. It's a sharp, pointy structure that is affectionately called a love dart. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> and they will stab their partner. And this love dart has this like cocktail of chemicals. It's not pheromones, um, but it's like essentially like plays a similar purpose to pheromones. This cocktail of chemicals that Basically, it does stuff inside of the recipient of the love dart. It's a lot of, like, I would have to get way further into, like, snail reproductive anatomy, and it's not that interesting. So (laughs) it just does stuff inside of the recipient of the love dart that basically helps along fertilization. So they do that, and then they're done. And they go and move their separate ways and make make baby snails and, like... I just think it's so like it's beautiful to watch. Like try to look up a video. Um it's it's I think it's leopard. Is it leopard slugs that have like just a really really cool like they hang from a branch oh, I know and twist around about. each other? Yeah, have you seen this? Oh. They'll like drop down kind of like silkworms and and yeah, do a whole spiral thing. That, I feel like that's got to be a BBC Earth video somewhere. Yes. Some people think it's like totally gross and really repulsive. I personally think it's really like aesthetically, it's very beautiful, right? Because they're kind of twisting around each other and like in, in a very like precise sort of spiral sort of shape. And it's just really, really pretty. It's and very seeing, like acrobatic. Yeah, it is. And and with these snails too, like they're spiraling around each other and then their shell has the spiral shape. And just something about that is very pleasing to me. So like, I think it's pretty. <laughs> Some people I think just because of the nature of how like gooshy and mushy snails are, are probably like, ew, gross. But I don't know. I think it's cool. <laughs> with the, the love dart, is is that filled with like, sperm or something or is it just the chemicals it's not sperm at all it's yeah so it's it's a it's like a chemical that kicks off some reactions inside of the body of the recipient of the snail basically they have like chambered receptacles for last for lack of a better word like chambered like places where they put the sperm in their body And the chemicals in the love dart cause, like, contractions in those, like, receptacle areas that make it easier for the sperm to get inside of there. So it's the sort of thing where, like, the the snail can, like, access the sperm later and use it to, like, fertilize their eggs later. But the same snail can mate with a lot of different partners, right? So this makes it so that it's more likely that that snail's sperm will be the sperm that the recipient then, like, accesses later. And so, like, when they mate, both snails are, they're kind of exchanging sperm. So they're both giving sperm to the other snail. And then later on, they can draw on that sperm later to be like, okay, I want to fertilize some eggs now. And then they they use it to fertilize their eggs later. So it's not like in that moment that they're actually, that the sperm is actually making contact with the egg. It's, they they use it later. And so the the love dart kind of helps like move things along. (laughs) That makes sense. Because yeah, I was wondering, I was like, is it, is it still then cloning? But there is an exchange of genetic material. That's interesting. Yeah. I think, mm-hmm. like, in some different types of animals where, like, the species is hermaphroditic, like, 
within one instance of mating sometimes the animal will like take on the role of like the sperm donor or the sperm recipient for each instance but this is like both of them are both giving and receiving the sperm at the same time like in the same instance which is very like you know it's it's so different from the way that human reproduction works but i think it's really cool (laughs) It's very yeah, it's very egalitarian. And <laughs> it is. Like... Yeah, so like there's no differentiation between, you know, like the the male and the female snail. So like whenever I'm talking about snails, I think that a lot of times people tend to default to like using masculine pronouns for for animals in general. Um and so I'm trying to be more conscientious of like saying like that like oh this snail they are doing this you know like i'm trying to be more like using more gender neutral pronouns for snails like understanding that like they don't even gender's not a thing for snails they don't they yeah. don't do that <laughs> yeah they have no time for that construct no no they have completely skipped gender entirely <laughs> So I that was all I had on, you know, this particular type of snail. Um, a long time ago, we actually did an episode on our podcast about giant African land snails, which are also land snails. They're just scaled up quite a bit. They're pretty huge. So I just love these dudes, right? Like, they're so cute. They have such a... I don't, I don't know how y'all feel about, like, snail faces, but I think they're just, like, really adorable. Yeah. There's something very peaceful about a snail like you just look at them and like the way that they're so slow paced and calm and they have a cute little like vaguely kitty cat face (laughs) it's also like a very neutral face like I feel like it's that cartoon or that emoji with just like the eyes and like a straight mouth but like a little little straight (laughs) mouth they're just (laughs) <laughs> yeah they're 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 completely expressionless yeah. right because they don't have any sort of like eyebrows or anything like that which I, I think that they so what's funny is that in the um in in spongebob there's you know this snail gary but a lot of marine snails actually don't have those eye stalks because it's it's easier for them to just poke their eyes out from underneath the little shell and then just bring them back in. Like a lot of marine snails don't have those eye stalks. I'm not going to say all of them because I don't know marine snails that well, but I think it's funny how like they had to try really, really hard to give Gary like expression so that <laughs> like he made any sense at all, you know, like they had to like draw little eyebrows on him. So have a, like a, a, so you would convey emotion basically. And then they do those like ultra like hyper realistic drawings when like the snail was feeling sick or something and it was just a little disturbing (laughs) yeah (laughs) those are my memories of spongebob oh i was just gonna say with gary too it's like i love the idea that snails have like an intense inner life inside their shell that they can like retreat into and there's like a library in there and stuff like as a kid I was just like that's the dream (laughs) yeah it reminds me a lot of like like what people's ideas are of what happens when like you bring a Pokemon back into its Pokeball (laughs) and there's like a whole little like house and mansion in there for it but like yeah snails can like most snails well, I, I'm not even going to say most snails. Some snails can, like, bring their whole entire body up inside their shell. But there are some types of snails that can't, like, fully withdraw their body into their shell. And a lot of snails, like, you know how I talked about, like, slugs just got rid of their shells. Some snails just reduced their shells. So they still have it, but it's just smaller. Um, so they can't get all the way back up mm-hmm. inside of their shells either. But... I do like the sort of like TARDIS like uh, fiction of like they get up in their shell and they just have their their own little like pocket dimension inside of their shell. And I and I wonder if my interpretation of their face as being kitty cat like is rooted in Gary the snail meowing like for my entire childhood, like Gary meowing. Like, I don't really know where that came from in the cartoon, but it's. I wonder if that uh, affected my association between snails and cats. That's a good point. (laughs) I was also wondering, no worries at all if not, but did you have any information about like conservation stuff with snails? No, um, I would imagine they're fine. (laughs) Um, So, so 
snail slime it largely comes from snails that are like farmed right so like there will be industrial scale breeding of snails that they use to like produce slime or for for beauty products or you know for the pet trade or anything like that there are a lot of invasive species of snails uh oh and also you know like they they would probably breed them industrially you know to eat them You know, right, far- yeah. farming them for, for food. I'm assuming that they're not just going out and collecting whatever snails they happen to find. There's probably some sort of uh, large-scale breeding effort for that. But, I mean, I'm sure there are types of snails that are threatened or endangered. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Maybe because I live in Florida, where most of the things that live here are endangered. <laughs> or not endangered, sorry. Most of the things that live here are invasive. So, like, all I can think of is, like, the wolf snail that's invasive and not super good for our whole thing that we've got going on down here. But Florida is a hotbed for invasive activity, right? So, like, it's it has a bad reputation for being, like, every invasive species has just, like... <laughs> thrive found their tropical paradise in florida (laughs) right like they've just everything here is some sort of invasive species oh man yeah (laughs) like the giant snakes and oh yeah oh well they're 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 farther south because they can't quite yet survive a freeze Mm. and you know up where I live, up in northern Florida, it does freeze. So in the winters, we'll get like a couple of really good like freezes where it'll be like overnight. And then that will kill off any snake that has made it this, not not any snake, obviously, but any like large python that has made it yeah. this far up. But as temperatures are rising, if it stops freezing here, then those snakes will be able to get farther up because the freeze is what's keeping a lot of those invasive species farther south. Mm. So if the temperatures continue to rise up here, that's just going to keep opening the door for more and more invasive to just keep making their way farther and farther north. So like where we are, we haven't quite gotten as many yet because they're coming up from South Florida where it is like it never freezes, right? It's, It's super tropical and super warm all the time. And so... You know, like I I heard that recently, I think within the last couple of years, one of those large pythons was found in Jacksonville, but it wasn't clear if it had come up like Mm -hmm. or if it had just like been an escaped pet or something like that. They can't quite survive here just quite yet. Mm. So but it's one of those things that we have to worry about, you know, like with with climate change. And as our temperatures are rising, that will make us a little bit more susceptible to some of those reptiles that are making their way up north. I know it's like a weird thing because we're talking about like very large snakes living in Florida, but I'm just, this discussion has made me very jealous of the idea of a tropical climate. It just seems so appealing right now. (laughs) I'm like, it's been so long (laughs) since I've been in a place with like warmth and like temperatures where I would want to jump in a pool. That would be... <laughs> I know. We're speaking from very different extremes right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where I am, it's it's warm and sunny. And where you are, it is snow on the ground. So yeah. we're, we're coming it's pretty from very... close to the Arctic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as far as snails go, I'm sure this particular snail is doing great. Because <laughs> yeah. it is used in so many different things that I'm sure a lot of people are you know, cultivating them purposefully for their different purposes, but also they can be pests, you know, so a lot of people try to kill them off if they see them in their gardens or in their farms or whatever it is. So there are ways you can do that without essentially torturing the snail, which is what salt does. There are ways you can do that a little bit more peacefully. I would recommend that anybody who wants to control the snails in their garden would look into those more humane ways of dealing with your snail issue. Please don't salt them. That's mean. We don't know for sure if they like in general, it's not known whether they feel like sensory, like things like you and I do, like whether that is something that hurts them, but we know that they hate it and that they actively try to get away from it. And that like when salt touches their skin, they panic and like produce a lot of mucus to try to clean the salt off of their skin. So we know that at the very least they actively avoid it and try to make that not be happening to them. So just like, please don't. (laughs) 
Just don't do that. Don't salt snails. Don't salt slugs. It's not a nice thing to do. Um, if you have a problem with snails or slugs, just maybe set out some, set out a little shallow bowl full of beer and see if that helps. <laughs> Ellen, on just the zoo of us, you and Christian rate the animals that you talk about. Would you want to do a little review rating of <laughs> snails <laughs> yeah so we usually we rate them because we want to be fair to the animals that are good at some things maybe not so good at others we do them in categories so the first category we do is effectiveness which is physical adaptations that let the animal do a good job i would give the roman snail like a maybe like a seven out of ten because they do have that shell that protects them the slime is really great the slime does a lot for them they don't see very well. They're really slow. They're very susceptible to being, you know, pretty much anything bigger than them can eat them. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> not a lot of, I suppose, active defensive capability there. So yeah, I think a seven out of 10 because they have some ways of, of getting around. For ingenuity, which is behavioral adaptations, I, I really didn't find a lot on like things that they actually do (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know so I'm just gonna give them like a five a five out of ten um because it doesn't seem like they're doing anything particularly clever that I found feel free to at me about that if you're really (laughs) if you're a snail stan and you're enraged that I've given them a five out of ten for ingenuity it's just you know I, I, I will give them that they don't have brains the way that we think of them right they they don't have the same sort of like you know, organ in their body that's regulating their behavior. So five's pretty good, actually, for a snail, I I would say. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then for aesthetics, um, which is just the way that they look like, I'm going to give them like a nine out of 10. They're so cute. (laughs) They're just, they got a kitty cat face and a spiral shell. And this particular snail is not super visually impressive. Like it's very plain, like brown and kind of like a creamish color. Very straightforward looking snail. Not, I feel like if there were more colors and markings going on, it would probably be a full 10. Mm. But I think as it is, I'm probably going to have to stick with like a nine for this one, which is really good. <laughs> Slight room for improvement, but super cute. <laughs> Big fan of the snail. They can take those notes and, you know, maybe in like a million years, they could have a more bright shell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like bring it into their drafting room and kind of revise a little bit. Be like, okay, we need to really lean into this aesthetic concept. (laughs) I think the sea snails have really kind of figured out the like interesting, you know, edgy aesthetics with like the spikes on their shells and like whatever weird colors they end up with because there's so you know there's so much opportunity for interesting coloration in shells I think yeah and there's one that's like there's there's one that I think lives in like volcanoes and stuff and have you seen this it's all like now I have to do my own googling one second volcano snail I'm googling that (laughs) I don't know what the result is going to be but I feel like the words volcano and snail is going to have some interesting google results here (laughs) Whoa, I think I know what you're talking about. Commonly known as a scaly foot gastropod or sea pangolin is a deep sea hydrothermal vent snail. And it looks dope. It is so I cool. love the name sea pangolin because yes. I know. Why, why is that right? It's like covered in plate mail, basically. And it looks like it's like shiny black and it's very edgy and like goth snail almost um that snail would get a full 10 for real like that is an excellent uh they have really cornered the game on snail aesthetics. it has like red undertone like like yeah. if if this snail had like hair dye the undertones would be like a pinky red and the black it's it's like <laughs> it's a good look yeah that snail is excellent i hope that in future updates maybe they add this snail to the deep sea creatures in animal crossing that would be really cool to see that would be so cool yes (laughs) was there anything else that you wanted to like add or talk about no that's all i had um i had a lot of fun learning about snails for this they're they're so foreign you know like they're so different from any sort of vertebrate at all you know just I I get excited and a little bit intimidated by learning about <laughs> invertebrates and what's 
what's up with them in general. But this was a lot of fun. And and also, you know, just I, my kiddo and I like to listen to your podcast a lot um, together. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure he'll be really excited <laughs> to be like, that's my mom. <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah. 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 Well, why don't you take a sec to tell, like, give everyone a little elevator pitch on just the zoo of us so ever we will say like you have to everyone has to check it out yeah <laughs> it's a podcast where we review animals so in each episode we take an animal and rate it out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness ingenuity and aesthetics sometimes it's me and my husband who joins me uh sometimes it's me and an expert guest so i'll bring guests on that are scientists or zookeepers or whatever they are like people who know this animal really well and bring them on and talk to them so olivia was on an episode um with me a a few months back where um olivia talked to me about caribou which was really fun and really exciting so that one was really good if you're gonna start somewhere and you already like beyond blathers start with a caribou one it was nice (laughs) to talk about a mammal for once (laughs) i know yeah that that's one thing is like on on our show a lot of times people want to hear about mammals right like people always asking like making requests for like talking about mammals and stuff and i'm like i want to talk about the weird ones like i want to talk about the weird like snails and beetles and stuff like that so um i really like I think something that I really like about Beyond Blathers is that it goes really into those like animals that people don't really dive into as much, right? Because they're like the bugs and the sea creatures and the fish and things that like maybe get ignored a little bit. So that's that's something that's really cool to me because you know I'm I'm like oh it, yeah it's it's an animal podcast that focuses a lot on like the less appreciated animals. Yeah. <laughs> so we try to we try to do that, you know. I, I think that giving some representation and love to the, what would you call them? Maybe the PR deprived animals. <laughs> the the <laughs> uncharismatic yeah. microfauna is my scientific yes. definition of them. For anyone yes. who doesn't know, there's like a term called charismatic megafauna. It's like my favorite term in science ever. Uh, and it just refers to like all the really, like the popular kids of the animal world. So like elephants and whales <laughs> and like bears Pandas. Pandas, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any Anything that gets a lot of, yeah, as you said, LNPR, media coverage stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that's a good, like, with Animal Crossing, they're kind of making you, like, think about these little bugs and fish that you can catch on a on a regular basis. And I don't know. I think that's really, there's a lot to be said for that. Like, it, it is in its own sort of way, like, a great intro to like animal science communication (laughs) yeah totally that's why we wanted to like celebrate it with this podcast yeah I I do think it's really cool I've learned about so many different species that I've never considered before (laughs) me too I keep like discovering things where I'm like I have no idea what this animal is this is it's a weird one I know and they could be things that you see every day you know like I see snails all the time but I'm not gonna like I might not necessarily take the time to go out of my way and like read a whole book about snails, you know? So it's, it's, it's exciting to take a few minutes to really like learn about and appreciate the animals that are around us all day, every day that you might overlook, especially if they're super commonplace because there's some wacky stuff going on under there, (laughs) like like love darts. (laughs) Yeah. Love dart is a good band name. Oh my gosh, you're right, isn't it though? <laughs> like a like a two thousands pop punk band. It's a it's a film, Love Dart, a twenty nineteen film. Oh. oh. Is it about snails? Probably not. No, it doesn't appear to be about <laughs> snails. It is a Japanese movie, it looks like. Well, if anyone's making a band. Love Dart is up for grabs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Ellen. That was just awesome, and I learned so much. (laughs) And thanks, everyone, for listening. Please leave us a rating and review. We'd really, really appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe. And make sure to follow Just the Zoo of Us on Twitter, at Just the Zoo of Us. And honestly, they have my favorite science content on Twitter. I'm not saying that (laughs) just because Ellen's here. It is, honest to God, the best. It's like half memes. (laughs) Which makes it the best science content on Twitter. That's all I want when I go on Twitter. I'm like, I want biological memes that are just so (laughs) niche. 
or, <laughs> you know. Also, you, I feel like you, you ask questions on Twitter that get people telling the weirdest stories about, like, yeah. their experiences in science. So, yeah. Go yeah, give you them never know what you're going to get. <laughs> our, yeah. our Twitter's a wild ride. It's so good. Yeah. If you want to kind of keep up with, like, the SciComm Twitter community, just the zoo of us is definitely a must follow and and a must listen because like honestly you've had like all the guests basically oh yeah <laughs> which is awesome yeah. well I really appreciate y'all uh, letting me come on and and chat with y'all um I, I I had a lot of fun with Olivia when when she came on for our episode so I'm I'm glad to be here and kind of f- um, do a swip swap. <laughs> so I, I just appreciate y'all uh, letting me take the reins with your podcast a little bit. This is really fun and really exciting. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. Okay, and tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. 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 Bye.